All right, let's uh, jump in. Uh, let me pray for us so we get started. Lord, thank you for uh, your good news. Thank you for uh, your word, and thank you for who you are. And Lord, as we take a few moments now and we really reflect and meditate and learn um, more about you, um, help guide our time together and guide our conversation. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. We're on week three of the Trinity. Um, a couple of resources we're using in the midst of this is Christian Beliefs by Wayne Grudem. And for this series on the Trinity in particular, a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Rees. It's a really uh, helpful book. Uh, it's, not a sm- it's not a big book. I would encourage you guys to pick it up. It will be very encouraging to y'all. Reeves says this, If the Trinity were something we could shave off God, we would not be relieving him of some irksome duty or irksome weight. We'd be shearing him of precisely what is so delightful about him. For God is triune, and it is triune that he is so good and desirable. And what we're really looking at in this series is this idea of a single person God versus a triune God. And what that means, what that looks like, and how that impacts the way we live and worship the true God. So the first two weeks, we looked at these kind of four things. Week one, this idea of the Trinity is essential. We can't look at the Trinity as like some secondary uh, issue, but the Trinity is essential to who God is. That He is three in one tells us so much about who He is. Second, the Trinity is biblical. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see it first in Genesis 1. We say that man was created in our image, the image of a triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see it at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is present, of course, the Father speaks from heaven, and the Holy Spirit uh, rests on his shoulder. We see it all throughout. We see it in the Great Commission, right, where he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Trinity is a biblical idea. It's a biblical picture of who God is. And then last week we looked at the Father and, and, and talked about what is the Father's role in the Trinity. And the first point we made is that God is Father before He is Creator. Before He is a Creator, He is a Father. And this has big implications for us because if He's a Father first, that means as the role of the Father, He is a loving Creator. Because him as father precedes him being a creator, which means he is a father who created out of his abounding love to share with humanity. So, today, what is the role of the Son? God the Father, now God the Son. We'll conclude in a few weeks. We have the hub thing next week. We'll conclude in a few weeks with the role of the Spirit. But today... What is the role of the Son? Once again, we're going to start with creation. So a triune God creates this universe, right? Out of this abounding love, his abounding joy, this great harmony, the world is created from God. In this harmonious, uh, beautiful world, it still exists today. Like, Even today, you look outside and you just see a beautiful creation, correct? You even sense some harmony in creation, 
There's changing seasons, the rise and fall of the sun. There's an order to our world. But there's an unmistakable marring of our world as well, as well right? There is this. Uh, our work is hard. Our work is heavy. There is conflict upon conflict upon conflict. We see this unmistakable distortion of the harmony and beauty that our world was originally created in. And we all experience this personally. I can't tell you, and this happens every week. It's like, it's like clockwork. There's good days and there's bad days, right? There are those days when it seems like the conflicts, the fallenness of this world, the fallenness of myself is just so heavy, right? And you just feel that distortion. You, you feel the fallenness. You feel the fracture of the world. And the question is, well, well what went wrong? And we know this. It's been in church on some level. We know Genesis 3. But I want to distinguish today very clearly what went wrong because this depends on our view of God. And we keep doing these comparisons in this series of if we have a single person God and not a triune God. If we have a single person God, that God did not create out of abounding love. The single person God would have created to rule and to be served because a single person God would have needed something from his creation, right? And in this scenario, our role as created under a single person ruler would be primarily about our behavior and our obedience. And this appears even in Genesis 3. If we just kind of have a cursory reading of Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve did what God said not to do and bad things happened. So, so on the surface, that even seems true. And I, I will tell you, I believe this is one of the great lies that we believe, that we think our issue is that we simply broke rules. But there is much more than that. Because what's true is that we were made in the image of a triune God, not a God who needed anything, was totally self-sufficient, was totally content and happy. But out of his abounding love, he created us which means we were created specifically to love, to first love Him, that all of our affection, our attention, our love would be directed towards Him, and then, of course, to each other. We are created out of love and our harmonious relationship to love God and love each other. This is what Christ calls, right, the first and the greatest commandment to love God, and to love neighbor. This is the essence of why we were created. But then something happened. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw it, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What you see here, before the action of disobedience, before this action, there was something changing in her heart. Because of love for herself, 
and gaining wisdom and knowledge of God for herself, she looked for love and knowledge apart from the source. Listen, when, when the fall happened, we as people, because we're made in the image of a triune God, we didn't stop loving, but our love turned. Our love turned. It wasn't primarily a disobedience issue. It was a worship and a love issue. Love for God was replaced with love for self. This is how Paul says it in Timothy. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We were made to, to enjoy the beauty of God and we turned away to enjoy the beauty of ourselves. Luther says like this, sinner, sinner is defined as a person curved in on himself. So what happened in this great fall was a great turning of our affections, our attentions, our hopes away from the source and towards ourself. And as Paul talked about in the end days, we see the results of that. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, reckless, treacherous, and this curving away from God and towards ourselves is what is everything that is wrong in the world. This goes much deeper than just breaking some rules. We perverted love and rejected Him, the one who made us to be loved by Him. We turned away from that. So you see, this is our setting. The Father, He's Father first, he creates out of his abounding love and love, and we stubbornly turn away and towards ourselves, and everything is fractured. Which takes us back to our original question. What is the role of the Son? The Father is a loving creator. What is the role of the Son? Here's what the Son came to do. The Son came to share. The Son came to share. Let's unpack this. What's crazy, the very rejection of God. I can't get, this is just the essence of the gospel, which is so good. The very rejection of God drew out the depths of his love for us, right? I'll never forget, um, I was, I was uh, I think, a sophomore or a junior, and there's this girl at church that um, I liked, and her friend told me she liked me as well. And um, I won't say names because you know people with GT. And um, we, we go to church together. And, um, and uh, so after church, you know, um, I sat by her at church. I tried to rub elbows, you know, uh, the whole thing. And I, we were in, in the lobby, and I said, hey, um, will you be my girlfriend? And she goes, and she hugs. Oh, oh here it comes. She's going to say, yes, I, I just want to be friends. And I was like, oh, just the, the painful, just you know, that rejection. We've all been there, right? When I, when I was rejected, what did I do? Out of the depths of my heart, there wasn't this great rescue plan. There was get away from me and your stupid best friend who told me you liked me. Y'all are both trash. And um, threw under the bus, the whole thing. Pretty much 
Absolutely. I learned all the things. But in his, in his response to our sin, we get to see the very essence and being of who God is. 1 John 4 says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Man, he, uh, John's writings just have these themes to them, right? Love, God, abiding. Because God is love, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he, here is the, the sharing peace, the abounding peace out of the depths of who he is in spite of our rejection. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God, who is love, displays this love by sending his eternally loved son. Remember, before creation, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, in perfect, harmonious community, perfect, abounding love forever. He sends this eternally loved Son to atone for our sins. So He's rejected, we turn away, and what does He do? He makes a plan. He moves on our behalf. It is this thought that we see just so clearly the generous the self-giving love of our triune God. See, the cross, what the cross does, it shows the depth. It shows the depth of His love, doesn't it? Through the cross, we see a God who delights to give Himself. Because the Son gave His life freely. He gave it freely. Didn't have to, but out of this abounding love, the Father loves the Son, the Son gives his life freely. But why? Like, that, that doesn't, what, what's the end goal here? And John 3, 16 is definitely correct. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is true and that is right, but it goes even deeper than that. Go to John 17. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. Eternal love for each other. The world doesn't know that. We've turned away. And these know that you have sent me, his followers. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. And here it comes. That the love with which you have loved me, remember, this abounding, eternal, forever, perfect love, that love of the Father and the Son, he came so that we would, Know that love, and that love may be in them, and I in them. We see this role of the Son coming. It's clear focus now. He didn't come to simply give information about Himself, say, this is who I am, but so the love of the Father that He eternally had for the Son might be in those who believe in Him. It's a great rescue plan. It's to turn us back to the source so that we can experience this perfect, harmonious, abounding love, and we're not wanting for other things. This is why he says, so much to abide in me, abide in my love, so that we can enjoy the Son as the Father has always enjoyed the Son. We get caught up in this beautiful Trinitarian dance with them, this dance of love for each other and union and community. 
The Father so delights in this eternal love for the Son that He desires to share it with all who will believe, who will submit, who will surrender. And this is why Jesus talks so much about the things that prevent us from His kingdom, whether it's money, uh, whether it's pride. Those are two of the biggest things He talks about. And here's why. Because those two things inevitably turn us back towards ourselves and away from the source. He says it's very hard for a rich man to enter his kingdom because many times it's through our stuff, it's through our knowledge, it's through our money that we turn inwards, we turn towards ourselves. The son came to share. Listen, there was this perfect harmonious love for each other. We rejected and the father sends his son to bring us back so that we can share in this love, to, sh- this love, to share the love of the Father. It's this beautiful picture of, of the Father overflowing in love and blessing of the Son, and then coming near to share in this love and blessing for the ones who least deserve it, the ones who rejected Him. Then this love, this blessing for those who believe, gives us this, this scandalous gift. It's the gift to call him our father. We turned away. We rejected. We constantly reject over and over and over again. But the son came to share in that love so that we can call him father. This week I was um, looking at pictures. We have, Hattie was two. We adopted Hattie from China. She was two when we got her. So she has two years of life before us. And thankfully, her, her foster home in China took all kinds of pictures. So from about four months old up, we have pictures almost every single day of Hattie growing up, which is such a gift. And um, I was looking um, at these pictures and, of course, crying um, because she was you know, so little. And I think about, you know, we weren't with her, right? And I'll never forget... Um, you know, I didn't want to do this, the adoption thing, at first. And we were talking about this last night, me and Tracy were over dinner. Um, but Tracy really felt God was leading us towards doing that, and she was right. And um, I'll never forget, we got her in China, and we thought, because in China, she was, you know, they tell you this when you adopt, that like, the child feels like they're being kidnapped, which makes sense. Everything they know, white folks come in, um, <laughs> pull her away from everything she knows um and she was shut down y'all know Hattie now and she is never shut down right she is screaming she is smiling she is running we first got her it was like this it's like oh she's just so calm and sweet um (laughs) that was not the case um and I'll never I'll never forget um we got home and I'm not gonna cry and we and were sitting down um, in the playroom, and Hayes and Connor are playing with her. And we, of course, we had toys for her, all the kind of stuff that you do. And I saw her laugh in a way I had never seen her laugh. And it, it hit me. She has a family now. She has a family. And she calls me Daddy and her mother Mommy. And it was just this realization of just this beautiful picture of adoption, right? of a, a child who has no parents, has no family, and now, I mean, has all kinds of people that love her, correct? And I was thinking today, 
man, what, what Jesus did in sharing his love, including us, and the Father adopting us, those adoption stories are beautiful. I love them. They're a shadow. They're a shadow of the great adoption of God's people. That we, who had no spiritual father, right? We turned away from our spiritual father. We ran away for all kinds of reasons. He had every reason to give us up to our passions, right? But God, in his abounding love, he keeps moving forward towards his people, towards his children. And this is the beauty of a triune God. This abounding love doesn't stop. It keeps pursuing and running after the wayward, the wayward daughter, the wayward son. So this beautiful picture of adoption is this scandalous gift that we now can call him our father. It's this union with Christ that brings us in. Well, how does this work? We saw it in, uh, in 1 John 4. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who was sacrificed because we turned inward. Something, someone had to pay for us turning inward because God is just and God is holy from his lovingness. You see, God's love, it's outward, it's not inward. It's outward. See, inward would be the single person God. But this outwardness of God is revealed, of course, in creation. Out of his abounding love, his abounding creativity, his abounding outwardness, he creates everything, and it was good. But even greater, this picture of the Father, of his outwardness, is sending the Son to be the sacrifice to share the Father's love. This is why it's not just our actions of obedience or disobedience that are the markers of spiritual maturity. That's, of course, part of it. But ultimately, it's about our love either turning inward or upward and outward. That's the real marker for us that call Jesus the King. Is our love, is it primarily about us, about our well-being, about our safety, about our comfort, about our happiness? We were not created in that image, and we're not rescued to be in that image. The image that we're being reborn into is an upward and an outward image. Does that make sense? That our love is constantly being received from the Father and poured out on others. And there is this sense in the Christian way, in the Christian life, where we never say, it's, it's about me. We are the people who says it's not about me because we are caught up in this union with the Godhead. We have nothing. It's like, it's like being a billionaire and saying, I'm out of money, right? Th that's not who we are anymore. We were rescued with abounding love, and now we simply just share the abounding love with the world. Uh, J.I. Packer says it this way. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. This is the central point of our faith, and it's born out of a triune God. 
Not a single person died. Jesus did not just come. How do I say this? He didn't just share the Father's love. He also came in his sharing to share the very nature of who God is. This is why he is called the Word in John 1. He is the actual... Well, Colossians 1 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And Hebrews 1 says it like this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And finally, John 14, Jesus says this to the disciples. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He comes that we might know the Father in the same way He knows the Father. It's very simple. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. There is no more mystery. And there is this sense, isn't there, that like the, the Father is harsh and mean and Jesus is loving and good, right? We, 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 in, in our false beliefs, we subtly think that or have been taught that, right? But no, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Jesus shared the love of the Father by revealing who the Father is. So what this means for us is that Jesus is this great hermeneutic of the Bible because He is this exact picture of who God is. When we have questions about things, well, what does it look like in the life of Jesus? Well, look at our, how do we treat our enemies? Well, Jesus loved His enemies. We think about, well, how do we serve? Jesus served His people. We see the ex exact picture, imprint of God through Jesus. So here, here's the question for us. Do we see our problem the way you would see, the way many faiths see their problem is that we simply broke the rules? I think for many of us is that we, are, we, we stay too superficial. We don't pull that string and go a little deeper, right? And see what's beneath the surface. And what's beneath is this turning inward, this turning away. That's, hear this, that is our primary problem. Because we're created in the image of a triune God and we're rescued to be returned to that image, which is not simply about breaking rules. We break a rule, it speaks to a deeper affections turning away issue. And, and the question is, for you, for me, how are you turning inward? Where are you turning inward and not turning upward and outward towards others? Because, remember, the Son said this, the first and greatest was to love God and to love our neighbor. And so our, our great turning, our great mistake is that we turn away from Him. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for sharing in your love for us. Lord, help us to turn away from ourselves and turn back into you and be caught up in this love. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.